0: We are in week three of our series running and I want to give a little shout out to those that are listening on SoundCloud for the 830 service. Usually we take that recording and put it out there on our audio. So a shout out to um, Skip and Debbie who are waiting to get their second vaccination shot so they can be back here with us. Also just a shout out to Donna and Bill and also Sherry. Uh, So many of you know Sherry. It's her birthday today, so happy birthday to her. Uh, As we continue to uh, work our way through Jonah, Uh, this has been a tough week with uh, two celebrations of life, two funerals uh, for three people, and uh, we appreciate your continued prayer for the Mack family and also the Bond and Winslow family, so thank you for doing that, praying for them. In this series, we've seen that we are all runners. Some of us are running from God. Uh, some of us do this in obvious fashion. Somebody of us are running, in a sense, inside, and we're going through all the motions of faith. But it's really there's a running, there's a disconnect. We're keeping God at arm's length. Also, there are those of us who are trying to trying to figure out should we run towards God. Uh, life has seemed to be giving us a lot of hiccups or a lot of problems, and uh, we are wondering if. This void in our life could be filled with anything spiritual, and so that's empty, and we're thinking about turning our eyes towards Jesus, towards God, and taking some steps towards him. Uh, Then there are those of us that are are trying to run with him, and uh, next week we're going to see the difference of running with him and then running against him. And so as we're walking our way through this, we've realized a number of times that you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. There'll be some moment in time, either in this chapter of life or in the next chapter of life, where we will actually run into God. And obviously, from our perspective, uh, being a community of faith, uh, we believe that it's better to run into God in this chapter of life and get those things settled now than in the next chapter of life. But no matter where we are, we're, we're running from him. And uh, one of the ideas about running into him is that God delights in sharing, in showing us grace and mercy. He actually delights in that. And that is something that we as a local church, uh, in a sense, stake our lives on, our eternity on. This chapter, the next chapter, that he actually delights in sharing and showing us grace and mercy. We think that is just so important that he does that and wants to do that. And it's so uh, life changing. And it's one of these things that uh, we guarantee, or we live a life that's guaranteed that God wants to show us grace and mercy. We really don't think it's—we're uh, pretty sure about this. We're absolutely sure about this because when you and I are just pretty sure about something, it can get us into trouble, like this family. Pretty sure we can. Pretty sure with rocket mortgage, you can be certain. Not pretty sure. What's the difference? I'm pretty sure these aren't poisonous. I'm pretty sure these are parachutes. Mine has a sandwich. That's mine. I'm pretty sure these hornets aren't the murdering type. <laughs> pretty sure we can make it. <laughs> certain is better. Let's go with certain. Good choice. <laughs> it's good choice to go with that, which is not pretty sure that is guaranteed. They are certain. We are certain that God delights in showing us grace and mercy. And the story of Jonah has that all the way through it, grace and mercy to Jonah and to the Ninevites. Um, The weeping prophet, prophet writes this in Lamentations. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassions never fail, they are ever new every morning, great is your faithfulness. It's the idea, again, that every day God wants to show us grace and wants to show us mercy. He delights in that, and as you and I open our eyes to that, as we open our lives to God, we will find that on a daily basis our lives are not consumed But our daily life, we can feel and experience his mercy and grace. And these days we're living in right now, I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded that he wants to show his grace and mercy every day. Because some of the things going on in our world, COVID-wise, politically-wise, on and on and on, school-wise, it just, just goes on and on and on. If, if we weren't careful, those things could consume us. Those things could define us. So we need a grace and a mercy that, in a sense, shakes that off. Shakes that off, and even on those days where we get it totally wrong, where we do give God arm's length, where we do run with God, and it's run from God, and it's obvious, or it's all internal, we need that daily grace, because we need those times where we need another chance, and that's what's wonderful about the story of Jonah, and running, is God is God of the second chance, and you put the number in there, your third chance, your fourth chance, your fifth chance, your millionth chance, whatever that is, God is a God of other chances. Now, we need to be careful that because God does demonstrate grace and mercy to us, that we don't take his grace and mercy for granted, that we don't, in a sense, uh, walk all over it because we know he's going to be gracious and merciful to us. But we can be thankful that God is a God of second chances, and we see that in Jonah. Uh, Jonah is in the belly of that great whale, great, or great fish. It's not a whale, it's a big fish. And uh, we see, next, God spoke to Jonah a second time. He gets spit up on the ground, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them, they are in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. Jonah gets a second chance. And actually, the people in Nineveh are getting a second chance, or maybe a millionth chance. You see, God wants to be a God of second chances in our lives. He is one. He wants us to experience that. In Proverbs, we read, "...a man who refuses to admit his mistakes..." can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Sometimes in church world, we hear the word repent, if the man repents. What we do when you and I repent is we confess, we agree with God, and then we forsake those activities we, we make a change, we, we think differently about them, and then that starts to show up in the way we live our lives. Uh, sometimes that's not automatic, how it shows up in our lives, but we're moving in that direction. He confesses and forsakes them, and he gets another chance. And that's fantastic. You know what's interesting about this whole thing about getting a second chance is we love when you and I get second chances. I love it when I get a second chance. But I'm not always as excited when somebody else gets a second chance. We're going to see that with the life of Jonah. Jonah's running. Jonah pleads. He gets a second chance. But then when it comes to the people of Nineveh, he's not so cool with them getting a second chance. We have to be careful about that. I'm actually very hurt by the way you've responded to this guy being given a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, uh, you know, a lot of chances. Uh, this is what we do. This is what we do. We're here. Here. Two tighties. Two tighties. Two tighties. I was saving them for the Super Bowl. You did
1: it all. You fall out, baby. Ah, you fall out Way too. to go. You let us hear Tom. Way to go.
0: So what Tom Brady just did for the Buccaneers. And there's more to come, right, Tom? Yeah, we're coming back. You see, Tom's looking not for uh, seven chances. He's looking for eight. He's looking for nine. He's looking for ten. He's uh, looking to fill each of those fingers up, and then maybe he'll start working on his toes. I don't know, but he's looking for another chances. And it's interesting. Again, you and I, when it comes to somebody else, maybe it's not uh, in football. Maybe it's really closer to our personal life. When there's somebody in our life that's being given another chance, often it makes us a little, we don't like that. And with Jonah, he would be the same way. But Jonah himself getting a second chance, he's all over. He's excited about his second chance. So we need need to be aware of that. We need to realize that. We need to understand that. And we need to, in a sense, come to terms with that. Earlier we said the Ninevites were, were horrible people. You can understand why Jonah didn't want them to have another chance. Jonah knew it so well that God was merciful and showed grace. That's one of the reasons he didn't want to go to Nineveh, because he didn't want to see them experience God's grace and God's mercy. But the one who's in charge of that isn't you, isn't me, it's God himself. He offers that, and we have to come to the place whether we're going to accept that or be okay with it or process through that. Now, it's interesting, when God has these opportunities, God wants his work to do its work in us. And why I say that is as we look at Jonah, Jonah gets his second chance. And yes, it's about the Ninevites, but it's also about him. Sometimes the things that God has called us to do, to be a part of, that we feel uncomfortable with, that we don't like, and there's this mission, there's this thing that God is leading us, directing us to do, and we don't want to do it, and we're so focused in on what's going to happen, what's not going to happen, that it's the work we're thinking about, that we forget... Often, it's a two-edged sword in a sense that God wants to do a work within us. So for Jonah, it is really clear, and we're going to see a lot of that as we get into chapter 4 next week, that God wants his work to do its work in us. And for Jonah, it was, yes, the Ninevites, but for Jonah, it was also what was supposed to happen in his life. The Lord spoke to Jonah again, go to the great city of Nineveh and warn them of their doom as I told you before. When you think about this idea, what is he about? He is going to go warn them. He's going to go say something to them. And Jonah needs to use who he is to express that. In 2 Corinthians we read, do not let the grace that you received from God be for nothing. Nothing. So here we have this moment. Jonah knows well enough that he's received this grace. He's received this second chance. He knows it can't be for nothing, so he's going to go to Nineveh whether he likes it or not. Likewise, in our own life, when you and I receive a second, third, fourth chance, make sure it's not for nothing. God just doesn't extend grace and mercy to us so we can feel good about life. So the pressure can be off. Yes, that may be a part of it, but he also wants us to harness that grace and that mercy that you and I have experienced and have it benefit somebody else. He wants our second chances to make a difference in somebody else. (laughs) And there's, there's, there's just a, 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 God just does not really appreciate, and we can look at other passages, when you and I receive grace, but then refuse to transfer, to share that with somebody else. Paul says don't do that. Make sure the grace and the second chance that's taught, touched your life, make sure that it goes ahead and touches somebody else's life. And a part of that is this idea of warning. Paul says, I don't care about my own life. The most important thing is that I complement my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me, to tell people the good news about God's grace. And we look at that and we say, wow, that's, that's Paul's mission. But if you and I are a Christ follower, if you and I have said yes to Jesus... The message, the grace of the good news that Christ came and gave his life, died, rose again. The fact that he did that for us, made God accessible, is a part of our deal. It's, a part of our, it's supposed to be a part of our DNA as Christ followers. So this isn't just a a mission for Paul. It isn't just a mission for a pastor. It isn't just a mission for someone that we deem super spiritual or or a difference maker partner that we have literally around the world. It's for us, all of us. That work, that mission is to be a part of our rhythm, our lifestyle of life. So you and I, as Christ followers, should be good at warning people. We need to understand the approach to use. We've talked about that in other times. We've talked about the idea that sometimes our approach destroys the content. What I mean by that is you can have great content, you can have great truth, but our approach makes the content unhearable for the listener. So we need to be mindful of our approach. That doesn't mean we water something down, but we understand how our approach plays out in somebody else's life. This is also important when it comes to the people that we're warning, that we're sharing with in our lives. It's the people that we know the best, so we know how they're wired. You know how one person's wired versus another person's wired. So if you're going to warn them about something... You figure out what's going to resonate with them, what's going to keep their defenses down so that they actually hear what you share. Sometimes in years past, we as Christ followers have said, it's just about getting the content out. I just need to tell them. And then once I tell them, my hands are washed of any responsibility." Yes, we do need to communicate, we need to tell. But if you and I communicate in such a way that they can't hear it, We've missed the point. It'd be like sending a difference maker partner to another part of the world where they need to speak a different language, and the couple's getting ready to go, and they say, you know, the, one of the worst things I have is this language thing. I can't speak the language. I, I don't know Spanish. I don't know whatever. I don't know German. I don't know Russian. I don't know Chinese. I, I don't know it. And we would say, oh, that's okay. Just go over there. We, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't waste our investment. We wouldn't send somebody to a foreign place and say, yeah, just set up a little church. How are you going to do it? And, and just do your messages and, and let them deal with the fact that they can't speak or understand English. We'd say that's ridiculous. But when you and I, in our culture, we need to know the language of the people. So if we're going to give a warning, we need to give it in such a way That our presentation, our approach makes it easy for them to grasp. That's why Jesus came to the planet Earth. That's why He came. He came to make it accessible. And sometimes we fall short in making it accessible. We Enjoy the fact we've been given a second chance. We're enjoy the fact that someone spoke into our hearts and we said yes to Jesus, and it all came together. And we've never stopped to look at the packaging, how they did it, how it made it easier for us to grasp it. At the 10 a.m. service, there is kids' zone, and the people in there teaching the lessons will teach the lessons in an age-appropriate way. We expect that. We actually demand that. So why wouldn't we expect us to warn our peers in an understandable way? Why wouldn't we demand that? We need to realize that circumstances may change, but they never changed the mission. So our world can change. The world we live in can change. Our circumstances can change. But they don't change our mission. A part of our mission, if we've said yes to Christ, is to point to him. That never changes. Whether we live in a culture that is open for us sharing our faith or a culture that is not, the mission doesn't change. It never changes. Approach may change, but the mission never changes. Jonah's mission was still there. And again, as we said earlier, you know, God could have sent somebody else, but God wanted to also do something in Jonah's life, in Jonah's heart. So it was two sides of the same mission. Something was supposed to happen in Jonah's heart. Something was supposed to happen in the hearer's heart. Sometimes you and I, who have been grown up in church circles and have a little bit of a self-righteous feeling, forget that something also is supposed to be going on in our heart. It isn't that we've got it all together and now we're coming in and giving the good news because they need it and I don't. We constantly, continually need a renewing of our heart and our minds all wrapped up in that good news. So just because our circumstances, just because we've blown it and we need a second chance, a third chance, maybe we've blown up a marriage, uh, maybe we've blown up a relationship, maybe we've done something at work that it's just blown that up, maybe we've done something like that, that doesn't mean that the mission of pointing to Christ for a Christ follower changes. It's still the mission. Even if you get swallowed by a big fish, the mission stands. That doesn't Change. I love what Jesus says when he's looking out at the crowds. When he saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless, like wandering sheep without a shepherd. Blown away by this. He wasn't angry at them. I have to watch the evening news sometimes, and I see the way people are carrying on, and I get angry knock it off, behave yourselves, don't act that way, don't think Jesus would have been that way, Jesus would have said, I see that these folks don't have a shepherd, how do I come into their lives, how do I shepherd them, not run from them, a lot easier just to hunker down, and for some of us who think this way about end times, it would be nice to just hunker down and wait for Jesus to come back and rapture us out, and woo, we're in heaven. No, we're supposed to engage the world that we find ourselves in. Do we really believe that God's placed us in the culture and the environment he's placed us in, or is it just by accident? It's just kind of caught him by surprise. Oh, I guess I have some Christians in this time. And, uh, they, you know, no, he, he, he gets that. He knew that. Do we look at people around us? And does our heart ache? doesn't mean we allow for things. It doesn't mean we become doormats. It doesn't mean any of those things. But does it break our hearts? Jesus, it broke his heart so much that he continues on with the mission of dying for us. Some of us look around and go, I'm not going to die for those folks. They don't deserve it. You and I didn't deserve it. Shepherdize, not self righteous eyes." So Joseph, Jonah obeyed the word of the law, or Lord, and went to Nineveh. He goes there immediately have to realize that delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed is still disobedience. What things in your life, what things in my life are really on the forefront? Don't want to pick on anyone, don't want to get any, but, but has the Lord led me? Has he said, I need to get baptized Someday. Someday, someday, when does that cross over from delayed obedience is disobedience? Lord said, I need to be generous with my resources. I need to give. I need to figure that out. I need to not avoid that conversation. I need to really think that through. I need to be an educated, spirit-led, generous Christ follower. What does that mean? Or just do you kind of delay it? Not until my finances are right. Not until this is right. And you just delay it. There's a line where delayed obedience is disobedience. God's saying, I need to add something to my life. I need to take something away from my life. I know it. It's clear to me. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You can fill the blank on that one. Jonah immediately goes for it. Would would the only thing that gets you or me going is to be swallowed by a big fish and be in his belly for three days? Would we need that kind of impression, that kind of push to do what he's called us to do? I hope not. I'm staying away from lakes and rivers and any form of water. I've got to stay away. That's, I don't want that to happen. Why do we delay our obedience? Now, Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. But after walking for a day, Jonah warned the people. So when you talk about how he warned them, he basically says, 40 days and your city will be overturned. It wasn't a long sermon. It didn't have video clips. It didn't have bumpers. It didn't have this. It didn't have that. It was just, you know, 40 days and the city will be overturned. Turned. He goes for it. Do we accept our responsibility to warn others? It's actually a part of our life's purpose. And I'm going to say this. If that is your purpose, then you better expect people are going to warn you. Are you a person that warns other people, but if someone said anything to you, you're not taking it? You're not taking it. You're not listening. Because if you don't listen, that means that you think you're 100%. That there's not one thing you could grow in. Not one thing that God would like to change in your life. So we need to accept the responsibility to warn others as a part of our life. And we also need to be ready to be warned ourselves. I was looking over my records, and I think I've done six funerals in the last eight to ten weeks. To this weekend, as I was thinking about this and thinking about what I say and how I say it, I said, man, I've got to warn these people. I need to make sure that my approach is one that they will hear. But I need to warn these people. The two services, different environments, different forms of warning. But it really weighed heavy on my heart. Am I going to be guilty of someone who didn't warn? Or am I going to say, Jesus is going to say, yeah, you, you warned. I wasn't most concerned about all the ways you said it. I mean, I want you to say the right approach, but which words and all of this? But 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 I wanted you to warn. I wanted people to leave both those services thinking: Where does my relationship with God stand, if there is a God? And for maybe some of those folks, just needed to have the opening possibility that there is a God that loves them. And if they walked away with that, that was just one. Step along the way. That's all they needed to get. But did you warn them or not? Jonah warned the people. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. A warning is a cautionary advice about a danger, trap, or problem. So there's lots of opportunities for us to warn people. Some are really tied to spiritual things. Some are tied to just doing life. We warn people when they're not thinking wisely. When something's out of whack. Again, I come back to this approach. I come back to this idea of being a partner with God. We also warn people when they're not acting wisely. We warn them. Sometimes, again, it, it, it's going to open the floodgates of your ability to warn somebody when you accept a warning from them. And how you digest that, what you think about, whether you just write it off. Do you accept it? Do you, do you think it through? We are to be a people that warns people as we walk through our life. It should be a regular fabric, regular peace of who we are now when God gives a warning it's a good sign sometimes we don't like warnings we we're coming up from Watkins Glen and it reminded me of coming through that little before you get going up over the hills and we were coming back from some conference and I got pulled over not yesterday because now I've had the warning I go they like to catch you down there They like it, 30 miles an hour. Someone's around here. Police officer comes by, window goes down, I see your registration, blah, 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 blah. And he comes back, Mr. Spencer, I would just like to give you a warning. And I'm like, yes, I love warnings. I don't want a ticket. When God gives you a warning and uses somebody else, That's a great thing. It's better than a ticket. It means that God actually has another plan for you, has more history for you to create. When God gave a warning to Nineveh, it meant no matter how bad they were, how many million chances they needed, he was giving them another chance. So when you read something, when someone comes alongside you and gives you a warning, it's a good thing. When it comes from God, it means that he loves you and cares for you. Hopefully, when it comes from another person, that means that they love you and care for you. Sometimes not so much. But usually in that warning, there is some truth. When we don't warn, I don't like this passage in in Ezekiel. Basically, what we are reading is that when God lays it on our heads, our hands to warn somebody and we don't warn them older language says their blood is on our hands but if we do warn them and they respond that's great but if they do warn them and they don't respond that's now their deal so i'd ask myself how many times should i have warned somebody had that hard conversation but chose not to do it because it makes me uncomfortable so I went it. I did not do it. And then their life, not because I was a prophet, it was pretty obvious, then their life takes a turn for, in a bad way. I, I have some fingerprints on that because God led me. His, their, their blood is on my hands, if you will. So giving a warning is to save somebody from a problem. It's to save someone from a ticket or much worse, And when you and I are really led by God to warn someone and we choose not to do it, they're blowing up in their life. We own some of that. I don't like that, but it's what God tells us about it. In Hebrews we read, warn each other every day. So it's this idea of being in community and relationship because it's still called today. And so that your heart isn't hardened against God by the sin's deceit. We, sh- we will share in all the belo- that belongs to Christ if we hold firmly till the end. So if we hear, so if we hear you hear God's voice today, listen and don't be stubborn. Warning, that kind of relationship. Do you have people that you're in relationship with that can warn you and you can warn them? One of the value of being in a community group or a micro group, we've talked about that. It's in your program. You can find out more about that. Strongly believe you're not to be doing life alone. There should be people in your life that you can warn and they can warn you. And then ultimately there's that even bigger circle where you can warn people about their eternity. But a lot of that goes along with building relationships with people that are in a different world than you are. All your friends shouldn't be church friends. It should be bigger circle than that. And that bigger circle should include opportunities to warn them in a reasonable way, in an approachable way, in a way that they... Might hear it. We're called to do that. It's a part of being a Christ follower. That's why he came. We need to understand God is already working in the lives of everyone you meet. It's amazing what happens to the Ninevites. Amazing. The people of Nineveh believed. Those of us who know the story, it's no big surprise. But if you were reading that fresh story, if this was a, a report from a difference maker from, let's say, uh, the Morlings and Papua New Guinea, and they told what was going, they said, you know, they really felt it on the Lord l- later on. live to say, you know, forty days and life's going to explode and blah blah blah, and, and they just say that little phrase, and all of a sudden we get a report, and they believed we would like we fall out of our seats, we'd go, I can't believe it, It'd be unbelievable. The Ninevites believed. It's thought that their soil of their heart had been prepared. These were very superstitious people. They had been in an eclipse. There had been a couple famines. There were barbarians at the gate, around 100 miles away from Nineveh. There were, there were these marauding groups of people, and they were nervous. If you had gone into the city, you wouldn't have seen any nervousness. They, you would have thought they had the... Uh, The tiger by the tail. The world was great. They owned everything. But it wasn't the case. It wasn't the case. They were nervous people. They were prepared. I've shared this with you before, that they say that the average person who is outside of Christ, who's not said yes to Christ, needs to have 6.7 contacts. Don't know how they figured that all out, but 6.7 Not 6.8, not 6.5, 6.7. The heart has been softened up. You have no idea. There could be people in your life that have had 6.5. And you look at their outside of their life, they look like they've got it all together. They look like Ninevites, living the high life, living everything's great. But they're 6.5 people, 6.6 people, and you're the one that's going to, in a sense, be the one that everything changes with. You don't know that. You don't know that. You don't know how many have prepared the soil. You're not in this alone, in this warning. When it comes to opening up their life to Christ... You don't know. Sometimes I'm blown away, I'm sharing with somebody, and they're ready to receive Christ. And I go, I didn't say much. You don't know me much. Well, I must be quite the evangelist. Look at me. No, something's happened here. Someone's prepared the soil. Had no idea about that. Understand, God is already working in the lives of everyone you meet the people of Nineveh believed they decided to stop eating for a time to think about their sins they put on special clothes to show they were sorry and the people in the city did this from the most important to the least important when the king of Nineveh heard about this he left his throne removed his robe and put on special clothes to show that he was sorry and sat in ashes The king wrote a special message and sent it throughout the city, a command from the king and his great rulers. For a short time, no person or animal should eat anything. No herd or flock will be allowed in the fields. Nothing living in Nineveh will eat or drink water. But every person and every animal must be covered with special cloth to show they are sad. People must cry loudly to God. Everyone must change their life and stop doing bad things. Who knows? Maybe God will stop being angry and change his mind and will not punish us. God saw what the people did. He saw that they had stopped doing evil. So God changed his mind and did not do what he promised. He did not punish the people. God gave them their second, third, fourth ch- chance. And we should say, awesome. We're see that Jonah next week didn't say awesome. But we should say, awesome. Our God doesn't give up on us. He gives us lots of chances. Do we give up on him? Some of you may think, oh, do we give up on him by not having trust in him? That's part of it. But do we give up on him in the fact that he can actually still change somebody's life? Change another person's life? Have we stopped trying? Have we stopped warning because we've given up on him.
1: When's it gonna happen? Here I am, there you are. Here I am desperate for love, for truth. What are you gonna do when you leave this building? Are you gonna share with me what you've been learning here today? Or are you just gonna bottle it up and Pull it out next week for your friends. Now when I say share, I'm not talking about every tactic you've used on me in the past. Like judging my every move, telling me I'm a bad person, pointing fingers, giving me disgusting looks. (laughs) And my favorite is when you tell me that I'm lost. I don't even know what that means to be lost. Do you really think judging me is gonna make me change? Would it make you change? Now, I I know I'm a bad person. I've, I've done bad things, but I don't need you to tell me that. What I need is for you to pick me up when I fall down, to be there when I'm broken. Yes, there's, there's something missing in me. There's a void in my heart that I don't know how to fill. You have it. You have that thing that makes you whole. You know that person that I need to know. So I'm watching your every move. I'm watching where you go and what you say and do. Because I'm desperate for something real. I need something genuine to know that there's something more here than this. I mean, this this can't be it, really. And I think you know that. Listen to me. I need you. I need you to be here for me. I need you to walk out right now ready and willing to do whatever it takes. It may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. But I need you to show me love. No matter the cost, show me what unconditional love really looks like. Stop telling me about this God of yours and show me who he really is. Honestly, I'll probably resist you. I'll probably argue with you and laugh at you. I'll, you know, even when you fall, I'll probably call you a hypocrite. But don't give up on me. Please don't give up on me. So I'm going to ask you, when's it going to happen?
0: Our God doesn't give up on us. Do we give up on him working in another person's life? God is a God of second chances. Many of us in this room would say, yes. Are we, with the way we live, the way we communicate, and even with poignant, direct warnings, going to share the fact that God could be a give that person another chance? Or have we given up on him, the person, and given up on God?